In the last few weeks, I've preached a number of messages in a series that titled Being a Disciple. The first message I preached was the importance of the church, the importance of being assembled together with a body of believers on a consistent basis, the importance of having a shepherd, that we are not sheep without a shepherd, but we have a shepherd, but not just any shepherd, a shepherd who preaches and teaches the word of God and the whole counsel of God. The following sermon was about our responsibility to praise God, titled that, He is Worthy of Every Praise. That no matter what we do, God is worthy of praise. And no matter what we're going through, He is worthy of praise. He's worthy of every clapped hand and of every lifted hand and of every hallelujah and every amen. He is worthy of every praise. And not only is he just worthy of those praise, but he is worthy of the way in which we live our life. That we are to live it in a manner that is pleasing to him. And then we looked at growing in spiritual maturity. That God has ordained that we would not just be converts. Not just get saved. But that we would grow in our relationship with Him, that we would be fully developed followers of Jesus. Growing in spiritual maturity and growing in our relationship with Him and growing into His likeness. And today, I'm going to continue that series with preaching this thought, Ownership is Everything. Ownership is Everything. You may be seated. I'm going to read the, my text today, a lengthy text, and allow you to be seated while we do that. Now, I do realize, and, and I was raised in a tradition, just so you know, I was raised in a tradition where you always stood for the reading of the Word in honor to the Word. We actually get that from the book of Nehemiah where they stood for four uh, hours straight listening to somebody read the word of God to them. They didn't have it in their hands. They didn't have a scroll. And so they were respecting and responding to the word of God. And while I honor that tradition, I'm going to read a lot of scripture and I wouldn't ask you to stand in when I read the other scriptures. So you may be seated while I do this. First Chronicles 29, beginning at verse number 10 says this, So David blessed the Lord in the sight of all the assembly. And David said, Blessed are you, O Lord, God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. Indeed, everything that is in the heavens and the earth, yours is the dominion. O Lord, and you exalt yourself as head over all. Both riches and honor come from you. And you rule over all, and in your hands is power and might, and it lies in your hand to make great and to strengthen everyone. Now, therefore, our God, we thank you and praise your glorious name. But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to offer as generously for 
all things come from you and from your hand we have given you. For we are sojourners before you and tenants as all our fathers were. Our days on the earth are like a shadow and there is no hope. O Lord our God, all this abundance that we have provided to build you a house for your holy name. Is, it is from your hand and all is yours. Since I know, O oh my God, that you try the heart and delight in uprightness, I, in the integrity of my heart, have willingly offered all these things, so now with joy I have seen your people who are present here make their offerings willingly to you. O oh Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, our fathers, preserve this forever in the intentions of the heart of your people and direct their heart to you. And give to my son Solomon a perfect heart to keep your commandments, your testimonies, and your statutes, and to do them all, and to build the temple for which I have made provision. Then David said to all the assembly, Now bless the Lord your God, and all the assembly bless the Lord, the God of their fathers, and bowed low and did homage to the Lord and to the king. On the next day they made sacrifices to the Lord and offered burnt offerings to the Lord, one thousand bulls. 1,000 rams and 1,000 lambs with their drink offerings and sacrifice in abundance for all Israel. So as I mentioned today, I'm going to preach for just a little while on this thought. Ownership is everything. Ownership is everything. It doesn't take long when you are around children, there may be other children present, it may be just you and a child, and if you pick up something that they want or they like, they say this word, you've heard it, mine. Anybody ever, anybody hear that when you're with kids? It's one of the first words that they learn. It may be right after mama and daddy, it's mine. And mine maybe actually probably follows no. <laughs> I'm going to tell you no, but very early on in their life, they come up and, and understand this word of mine. And they say that whenever you're trying to pick up a toy or you want a toy or another child wants a toy. Mine. Or you're taking their cookies because they weren't supposed to have so many and it's mine and they throw out that word, that possessive word that implies ownership and that, that word that implies that they own whatever it is. Sometimes it's not even theirs, but they just say mine because it's something they want. Kids learn that. You don't have to teach them to say that. They just come up with that on their own. They figure that out. We use the words my and mine very often. In fact, you may have used this today, asking a question, where is my shirt, or where is my, or is my skirt, or where are my pants, and if you have siblings, and maybe they, or a mom and a daughter are similar sizes, and they go to look, hey, where's my, whatever it is, because you know they have taken whatever it was, and they've worn it, and you can't find it, or where are my keys? How many of you have used the word mine or mine this morning? Just a few of you. And then everybody else has probably used it. You don't know it because it's just something that's so 
much a common part of our language, but, but we say it all the time. It's my car, and it's my clothes, and it's my phone, and it's my AirPods, and it's mine, it's mine, it's mine. We say that all the time. It's my drink, or it's my food. That last piece of pizza, as I mentioned last week, that's mine. Don't, don't touch my pizza. We use that all the time. This possessive language. So in here in, in North America, and specifically in the United States, we take great pride in ownership. We take great pride in having possessions. It's part of the American dream is that we can have a, a nice house and we can have two cars in the driveway and we can have 1.9 kids now. And whatever it is, we, we have this, this idea of this American dream and we're striving for that because it means something. We have money in the bank and we have our money in, in the bank and we have our house and we have our possessions. Recently, shortly after COVID began, a man named Klaus Schwab he was, he is the, the leader of the World Economic Forum. And if they're listening, this might get pulled off of YouTube. <laughs> His whole desire and vision is for a one world government. The Bible says that's coming. This man is actively working for this one world government where it is controlled by the few people. But part of what he has pushed and what, part of what he is promoting is this, is that by the year twenty. He said, you will own nothing and you will be happy. That no longer will you have possessions that you can call mine. That the clothes you wear, the car you drive, or the house you live in, it belongs to somebody else. And you get to pay for the opportunity to live there or to drive that car or to wear those clothes. You rent them as it were. And the reality is this, is that ownership, they want to take ownership so that then they can control because the food then doesn't belong to you either. The food in your pantry is not yours. You will own nothing and be happy. Now, I don't know anybody that's going to be happy with that situation, but it brings up an interesting uh, idea that when we look at ownership, we're like, well, this is mine. And Klaus Schwab says, no, it's all going to be mine. How should we view that? We get upset when somebody talks about taking away the stuff that we possess because we view ourselves as owners and we view ourselves as having this stuff that we own. It is mine. Two of the Ten Commandments deal with possessions. You could probably make more of them, but it, but it deals with possessions when it says, Thou shalt not steal. What are you stealing? You're stealing something that is, belongs to somebody else or is at least in their possessions. And, and God says, thou shalt not steal. Another of the commandments says, thou shalt not covet that which belongs to your neighbor, whether it's their animals or it's their tools or it's even their wife. Thou shalt not covet and want that which is theirs. The question I would have for you today, though, is how should we view possessions? How should we handle or treat possessions? I mean, it's easy to, to take this phone here and go, this is mine. Don't touch it. 
leave it alone because it's, it's mine. But is it really mine? Do I really own this phone? Do I own the things that are in my pocket? And how do we view possessions? Who really owns our stuff? The context of our passage today was a celebration, much like what you hear going on next door. They're having a good time over there. Our our friends who almost never meet on Sunday decided to meet on Sunday. That's all right. Here we see in, in our text they are preparing for the coronation of Solomon to become king. He's getting ready to take David's place on the throne. They're they're in essence saying he is going to be the next king. David realizes that he is near the end of his life and he is going to be passing away. And and in that day, you don't want to leave it to chance. So David makes sure that everybody knows Solomon is going to be king. Now you may remember that David had wanted to build the temple He had wanted to build God a house where he could dwell and a house where they could go and worship him. And and God said to David, you can't build it because you have a lot of blood on your hands. You have been a warrior and you have killed a lot of people. And he said, you just don't qualify to build my temple. But he said, I will let your son build the temple. And so as part of this coronation ceremony, they're getting ready and they're talking about the temple that is getting ready to be built when Solomon becomes king. And David walks through the abundance of things that he has prepared and he has given and he has set aside for the building of the temple. This is not a warehouse we're talking about. We're in a warehouse and if we throw a little paint up, it's not too bad. But the temple that they would build, it's got gold and it's got silver and there are precious stones. And it is an elaborate structure, unparalleled in the world at that time. They're getting ready to build this. And so it takes a lot of stuff. It takes a lot of possessions to do that. So David lists out what he and others have given for the temple. And from this passage... I want to talk about ownership of possessions and who really owns everything. The first thing that I want you to understand is this, is that God owns everything. Nothing belongs to you and nothing belongs to me. God owns it all. Now that may be a difficult or new concept and And sometimes I hear people talk, I'm not worried about it, it all belongs to God. And many times that little saying, it all belongs to God, is is an easy thing to say, but it's not so easy to live out. It's not so easy to really practice that God owns it all. But, But David said this, he said, everything belongs to you, Lord. I've just listed out, Lord, all of these things that we've given and and the abundance of things that we have given, Lord. And he says, but this, Lord, is true, that yours is the greatness. God, yours is the greatness. If there is anything great, he says, God, it all belongs to you. God, it's all because of you. He said, yours is not only the greatness, but you 
are the one who is the source of all power. All power belongs to you. God, all glory belongs to you. And we look at people and we celebrate them and go, man, look at all that they've accomplished and all they achieved. The Bible says that God is the one who gets all of the glory. That all of the glory belongs to Him. Said God, victory belongs to you. David, who has been a warrior. David, who has fought many battles. David, who has won victory. He said, Lord, really, all those victories, they were yours. So I didn't win any of those on my own. It's not because of my ability. It's not because of my greatness, Lord. It's because you are the one who has power and you are the one who gives victory. All majesty, he says, belongs to you. And we celebrate people today who are do great things or they do good things. And, and the Bible in the New Testament does talk about give honor to whom honor is due. Because not everybody can achieve the same thing and not everybody does the same thing. But he said, ultimately, Lord, all the majesty belongs to you. And if, if that's not enough, he includes this phrase, everything in heaven and earth belongs to you. Everything. Dominion, he says, belongs to you. I thought Adam was supposed to have dominion. I thought we are supposed to have dominion. We do, but it's not really our dominion. It's his dominion that he allows us to, to operate in. It's his power that he allows us to operate in. It's his everything, his majesty, his glory, his power, riches and honor, David says, comes from you. We've talked about this before. That God raises up kings and he takes down kings. And most of the time, as I mentioned recently, is that most of the times when we're talking about that, we talk about it whenever the person that we want to be in power is in power. If your candidate wins the election, man, God raises up kings. He takes down those people we didn't want. But it happens to be true when it's not your guy or your gal who wins. God is the one who raises up and God is the one who, break, who brings down riches and honor come from God. If somebody has wealth, God is the one who allows that to happen. If somebody else gets honor, it's God who allows that to happen. Human greatness and strength comes from God. Now that's easy to say, but when you get into a contest, then it becomes a little more difficult to say that God is the one who helped you win, and God is the one who gave you the strength and the power to do it. You see this with athletes quite a bit, they'll, they'll do something, they'll have a really good game, and, and they'll, man, well, first of all, I'll give honor to my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and then they talk about how awesome they are. Then they talk about how really their teammates are the one who made it all happen. That they just give that, that brief moment and that accolade to God and then everything else is about them or about their team. And so it's much more difficult to live it out than it is to acknowledge that it all belongs to Him. You show up at the job and you get paid for doing a job. It's like, well, hey, that's all me. 
That's all me. I did that. God didn't show up at, at my job today. I did that. But true recognition that God owns everything says this. I only have that job because God allowed me to have it. They only hired me, not just because they were needing a lot of workers. They'd hire anybody, but they hired me because God allowed me to get this job. And, and God is the one who gave me the strength to get out of bed this morning and go to work and to do my job. And God is the one who gave me the wisdom and the ability and the, the IQ to do whatever the job is. God is the one who allows me to have breath to breathe. That's why James would say, life is but a vapor. It's here today and it's gone tomorrow. We don't have a promise of tomorrow. It's on, we're only here tomorrow if God allows. It's easy to say, harder to live. So how can we live that? How can we continually recognize His ownership? I would tell you that the way we should do that is my second point, is that is to rejoice over His ownership. That if we are living a life of rejoicing and we are living a life of thankfulness saying, God, this is because of you and this is from you, then it's much harder to hold on to it and say, I, that's, that's mine. This is not the most spiritual topic in the world, especially when they're playing that music next door. Anybody want to get up and take a praise break? Just hit some. <laughs> but David said this, after saying, God, all of this belongs to you. He said, now, therefore, our God, we thank you and praise your glorious name. God, it all belongs to you. And so because of that, we are going to thank you and we are going to praise your glorious name. Question for you this morning. How many of you? When you got out of bed, said, Lord, thank you for giving me strength to get up today. I would say the younger you are, the less likely that is. The older you are, the more likely that is. God, thank you for giving me the ability to come to the house of God today. Lord, thank you for giving me strength and thank you for giving me the health to get here. But we got into cars and we didn't have to walk to church and did we thank him for the car and did we thank him for the gas that we put in the car did we thank him for the money to buy the gas to put into the car or did we even thank him for the donuts and coffee when we got here I did thank him for my McDonald's my Sunday ritual he would probably say, quit eating that, it's going to kill you. Our rejoicing, though, is not because we have things, but it is because God owns all things. What David is saying, Lord, it all belongs to you. Now, therefore, since it is all yours, I will thank you and praise you. David doesn't say, Lord, I thank you that you have given it to me. The reality is that we rejoice not because it is in our possession, but because He owns it all. Our rejoicing is because we serve the God who owns it all. 
Our, our rejoicing is because we get to be managers of what God owns. We rejoice because we get to use His stuff. And once again, this is easier said than done. But if God gives us or allows us to use stuff, He puts it in our possession even though He's the owner. That says something about His love and it says something about his mercy and it says something about his grace it says something about his trust that we are going to use his stuff in a way that is pleasing to him so we rejoice that he counts us worthy to do and, and to manage his possessions if i owned everything you probably wouldn't be so happy if I owned all of your clothes and your houses and your cars, you'd probably talk really bad about me. You wouldn't be going, man, I sure love that guy. He owns all this stuff. But can we do that with the God who says he owns it all? Because you might not trust me to be so gracious, and you might not trust me to be such such a benefactor as God is, but God owns it all, and He allows us to use His stuff and to manage His stuff because all creation belongs to Him. So what do we do? Not only rejoice over His ownership, but we should respond to His ownership. David would say in verse 14, but who am I and who are my people that we should be able to offer as generously as this? For all things come from you and from your hand we have given you. He would go on to list out all of the things that are in God's, that God owns, that is in his possessions. And he listed out already, and I'm not going to read all of this, but he listed out all the the gold and all the silver and all the precious things that he did and all of the gold and silver and the precious stones that the, the people gave to the temple of the Lord. And he says, all of it belongs to him, so it's no big thing that I give it to you, Lord, because it's really yours anyway. If your boss gave you $1,000 and said, hold this for me, and he comes back in a week and says, hey, where's that $1,000? And you give it to him. He's probably not going to say, man, you're so awesome. Thank you for giving me this money. Well, it came from you anyway. I'm just holding on to it for you. And what David says, I'm just holding on to this for you. It all belongs to you. And if I could just interject this here, it's not in my notes, and it probably doesn't even fit right here, but I feel to say it is, is this, is that if you don't have the things that you think you need to have, maybe it's because we're not thanking Him and rejoicing over what He has blessed us with. Or maybe it's because He knows what we will do with what He would place in our hands if we don't recognize that it came from Him. Somebody just said this week, uh, actually, I don't know if you saw this, somebody got the winning lottery ticket for, I don't know, a billion dollars or more, whatever it was. 
almost everyone who wins the lottery, within 10 years, they're bankrupt. Their lives are worse off than before they got it, the money. You can go out there and look at it. I mean, it's, it's an almost guarantee. And God knows what you and I will do with things that He puts in our hands. He knows whether we're going to use them for His kingdom and for His glory or we're going to take those and we're going to waste it and we're going to squander it. He knows whether He can trust us with wealth and riches. So how should we respond? I would tell you the first thing to do is to we respond by giving abundantly. David, in the first eight verses of this chapter, he lists out all the things that he has done with God's wealth that he has placed in his hands. All the silver, and he, and he lists it all out. He doesn't, it's not haphazard. He says, I did this, and I did this, and I gave this, and I gave that. He lists it all out. Gets down to verse 4. 3,000 talents of gold, the gold of Ophir, and 7,000 talents of refined silver. Not just silver ore, but refined silver. I know, he says, Lord, I know that we're supposed to, to take gold and we're to cover the furnishings of the tabernacle. He said, but Lord, I decided to go all out. Forget just making the, the altar of incense and covering it with gold. Forget just taking the Ark of the Covenant and covering it with gold. And, and forget just taking the labor and covering it. He said, Lord, we're going to give enough and we're going to cover the walls with gold and silver. That he is giving abundantly and extravagantly to the house of God out of what God has put in his hands. It is what you and I should do is that we should give abundantly. But not only do we give abundantly, but we should respond by giving wholeheartedly. It says the people rejoiced because they had offered so willingly. I think I have $6 in my pocket. Not much. $6. I don't know what I'm going to do with this. I'm pretty sure, though, it's going to go to food at some point. Which means if, for me, if you came up and said, I don't know if we have enough gas to get home, would you give me some money? I'm going to have to think about whether I give you my $6. Because this is my $6. And it's going to buy me a Big Mac at some point. And maybe I would give you this $6, buy yourself a tank or a gallon and a half of gas. But when I wanted that Big Mac on Tuesday, would I be thinking, 
Man, I wish they wouldn't have asked me for gas because I don't get my Big Mac. What the people say is this, that we gave wholeheartedly. We didn't give holding back and we didn't, we didn't give out of obligation. We didn't give God to your, to your tabernacle or to your temple. We didn't give that. Because we cared so much about it, we gave it because it really belongs to you. The Bible would say, and Jesus would say in the Sermon on the Mount, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things. And the, all these things that He's been talking about are clothes to wear and a place to live and, and food to eat. He says, don't worry about all of that. Seek the kingdom first and all of these things will be taken care of. Jesus would later say, no man can serve two masters. You can't serve God and money. You can only serve one or the other. He says, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And he is calling us to give out of the abundance and of the purity of our heart, giving to him. Because he is first in our lives. We respond by giving uprightly. David would say this, since I know, O God, that you try the heart and delight in uprightness. I, in the integrity of my heart, have willingly offered all these things. I did it, Lord, because you asked me to. I did it because it belongs to you. I'm not doing it out of false motives. I'm not doing it to be seen of men. I'm not doing it so people will pat me on the back, Lord, but I'm just doing it because it all belongs to you anyway. Paul would write this, that we are not to give out of compulsion because somebody is making us do it, but we are to give willingly. Not only are we to give willingly, but he says God loves a cheerful giver. He loves a, a person who gives cheerfully. Not a person that says, man, I wish you weren't asking this because I want that Big Mac. But says, hey, man, just take this money. Do what you need to do. Be blessed. To be happy about that. And if I was going to follow every other preacher, I'd be saying, who wants to run up here and get this first? <laughs> if you really want it, it's right here. You come get it. You just got to get it before the sermon's over. If you're not willing to get up and come get it in the middle of this sermon when there are millions are watching around the world on live stream, you don't really want it. If it was $100, I might have to beat you off the pulpit. <laughs> but for $6, oh, that's all right. God loves when people give the right motives and they give cheerfully, not out of compulsion. Ananias and Sapphira, Acts chapter 5, tells us a serious story. It's a one-time event in the course of the New Testament and really in all of Scripture. The church in Jerusalem, they are giving all of their possessions or selling all of their stuff and giving the money to the church. Now understand, there is portions of Scripture that are descriptive and portions of Scripture that are prescriptive. And by that, I mean when it's descriptive, it just says this is what happened. Prescriptive is like this is what you should do. 
Now what the scripture would tell us is that we should recognize that it all belongs to God and so we just give it. It's his. We, now we don't do give indiscriminately because it's his money. So we give it in a way that's lining up with his values and I'll talk about that in a few minutes. But they were selling their possessions and selling their land and they were giving the money to the church and Ananias and Sapphira, they sold some land and they conspired to try to look like they were really big givers. So they made up an amount. They made, and the Bible doesn't say how much they made it, how much they sold it for. So I'll just, I'll just make up some numbers for illustration. That they sold their land and they got $10,000. They decided that what they would do is that they would go and give $7,000. So they go to the church, they go where the apostles are, and they say, here's the money, we sold our land and here's the money from it. Ananias comes in first and he tells this and Peter knows it's not the whole amount. He said, you, is that how much you sold it for? Oh yeah, yeah. He said, you're lying not to me, but you're lying to the Spirit thinking that the God of the universe who sees all and knows all is fooled by what you're doing, he falls over dead and they drag him out. Wife comes in and does the same thing. God kills her. Now that's a sobering story, but, but understand this. They weren't obligated to give $10,000. They didn't have to sell their land. They didn't have to give anything. But they wanted to give, but they wanted to be keeping some back for themselves. And so they decided to lie to God. But David says, we are giving out of the uprightness of our heart. We're giving out of correct motives. We're giving because we value your kingdom and we value the temple. We should give abundantly. We should give worshipfully. We should give uprightly. Fourthly here, we should give worshipfully. Understand that giving is an act of worship. That when I give, whether you give in the buckets at the back of the sanctuary, or you, you give online, or you write a check, that however you do it, it is an act of worship. Because what it's saying is, God, this is your money. And this is what you have told me to do with your money. So when we give, we acknowledge that he owns it all. That he owns everything. Giving is an act of worship. Now I realize that, that this is not a, if I could say it this, this is not a spiritual feeling message, but it is a spiritual message. Once again, the Bible speaks of money more than prayer. More than fasting. More than reading your Bible. More than showing up for church. It speaks 
of money more than all of that combined. Why is that? Because it starts with acknowledging that God is in control of everything. And it starts with acknowledging that God owns everything. Sometimes people may not acknowledge that God is the owner of everything and they give stuff. But when they do, they want something back. Whether it's they want people to pat them on the back, whether they want to be seen of men. They want to get honor, they want to get recognition, or they just want to get a tax break. You see a lot of athletes making millions of dollars and they set up these foundations and they use these foundations to give money and to help people and in many ways, that is all good. But there are some things behind the scenes that they're not just doing it because they love people so much. There are tax breaks and tax incentives, and there's ways to mitigate the amount of taxes they owe. I mean, if you get a million dollars, do you know the taxes on that? going to be over half of it. One thing about the kingdom of God, though, is that tithes never change. No matter how much God puts in your hand, 10% is 10%. No matter how much, if He gives you a billion dollars, 10% is still 10%. God doesn't increase the percentage of money He is asking you to give back to His kingdom just because you've got an increase. People will say things like, man, when I didn't make much money, I could pay my tithes. When I was making $100 a week, man, I could give that $10. That wasn't a big deal. Man, now I'm making $10,000 a week. I can't afford to pay tithes. When you were making $100, you gave $10 and you still had $90. If you make $10,000 a week and you give $1,000, you still have $9,000. You can afford it. But what they are really saying is this, is that I don't mind giving a little. I just don't want to give all of this. And ultimately what is being said is this. This is all mine. And God can't have it. Instead of understanding this is all God's. And I will do with it what He has called me to do. Imagine if your, your boss handed you a hundred dollars. It's not much. Most of you make that much and more on any given day that you work. But your boss just handed you $100. You didn't, you didn't work for it. You didn't do anything for it. He just said, here's $100. 
said, but I have some directions about how you, you have to spend this money. First thing you got to do is give at least $10 to the church. Maybe I should say it this way, $10 to the kingdom of God. The remaining $90 can be spent any way you want to. Within certain parameters. That you get to spend, but there are some parameters there. One thing you have to do is you have to take care of your and your family's needs. And if you need food, you got to buy food. And if you need clothing, you get to you go buy clothing. And if you need shelter, you take care of that. And you need transportation. Whatever is needed, you have to use the money for that. After the needs are met, you can spend it on some wants. If the needs are taken care of and you've still got money, have at it can spend it on wants, except you can't spend it on things that are dishonoring or displeasing to God. Oh, and one other caveat is you have to give to people in need or give extra to the kingdom when I tell you. The reality is this, this is exactly what God has done with everything in our possession. If we acknowledge that He owns everything, then what that means is I'm going to do certain things with what He puts in my hands. I'm going to give at minimum 10% to the kingdom. I'm going to take care of the needs that I have and my family would have and Oh, I'll spend it on a few things that I want. But not at the expense of paying my tithes and not at the expense of taking care of the needs that my family has. I recently bought some AirPods. Got them on sale. Felt good about it. The reality is it was just I got a phone that works perfectly fine. I had some other AirPods that didn't work so fine. So I thought I needed some that were better. And I don't think God is bothered by that. As long as what I'm doing with His money is following His parameters and His directions. What do I want you to do today? Give generously to God's kingdom. Give appropriate, appropriately to others. And to spend consistent with God's word. It's not really that difficult to do unless you think you own it anyway. But when God owns it all, then how can I not do what He has asked me to do? 
Now you may say, okay. Yeah, we're talking about possessions today. We're talking about money today. That's just another one of those preacher things. Preachers do that. Talk about money, and they're always asking people to give. I would tell you this. Ultimately, God doesn't need the money in your possession. You need to spend the money in your possession in accordance with God's will. That money is not about God, it's about us. It's not about whether or not God needs it and God has to have it. God owns the cattle on a thousand hills and He owns the cattle also. He owns it all already. But if you hold on to it, what He doesn't own is your heart. Because where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Would you stand together with me? Even our salvation belongs to Him. That you and I don't own our salvation. We don't belong to ourselves, But we belong to Him. When you come to God, there are a couple of things that have to understand Paul would write in Romans 6 23 one of my favorite verses after setting up the fact that everybody is a sinner and everybody is in need of salvation that Paul would write in Romans 6 23 for the wages of sin is death but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord so what he says is this, and Paul uses this language, and, and I, I love the way he uses language. When you go to work tomorrow or today, or whenever you go to work, at the end of the day, you get wages. It's what you earned on the job. You do your job, and you show up on time, and you do your job, and you do it well, and they're like, man, here's your wages. What Paul would say is this, is that what you and I really deserve, the wages that we have earned with our lives, is death. The wages of sin is death. Everybody, he says, is a sinner. So everybody, their paycheck is death. I mean, think about it. You go to, you go to the job, and, and your boss will say, now at the end of the week, if you've done really good, I'm going to give you some money. If you haven't done real good, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> you probably amp up your efforts at work just a little bit. But what Paul would say is no matter how good you are, no matter how good you've done, what you deserve is death. The paycheck that you get. Regardless of how well you think you live your life, is death. He says, but God gives us a free gift of eternal life. 
And the way in which He can give us that free gift of eternal life is because Jesus purchased us on the cross. We are a purchased people. When Peter would say, but we are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a peculiar people, that word peculiar means this, that we are a purchased people. That Jesus Christ paid for us at the cross. And so when we get salvation and we get saved and we are on our way to heaven, it's because it's His salvation that He has let us have. He has let us in on His salvation. Everything belongs to Him. So why preach about this? And why why take this non-spiritual message because of this because God is calling us to be fully developed and fully trained disciples he is calling us to be more than just say I know how to say Jesus he's calling us to be more than say I've spoken tongues at some point and I was baptized in the name of Jesus he's calling us to be more than that he's calling us to be fully developed disciples of Jesus Christ And we don't get there when we hold stuff. We don't get there until we are the managers of His stuff. The way He wants us to manage. It's why... And I'm not putting myself up, okay? Understand, there are people who do a lot more and a lot better. But it's why, at minimum, I can give 20% of my gross income. The Bible says i got to do 10, and then it calls for me to give offerings above that, and so we just say, we're just going to do 20. But even with that and giving 20%, it's why on occasion when God speaks and says, hey, give this other money. And on two or three occasions, I gave my entire savings account. Following the Dave Ramsey plan, three to six months of expenses, and God said, just give it to the kingdom. Okay, Lord, it's yours anyway. If I lose my job, if I, the income dries out, Lord, that money belonged to you anyway, so I'm just going to give it because I'm going to trust you to take care of me in time of need. If I can give all of my savings and go, Lord, it's all yours anyway. What I would ask you today is this. Are you living your life understanding that he owns it all? That means that you give consistently to His kingdom. That means that you spend in accordance with His word. That means you give out of an upright and pure heart. And that you give to people as God would lead you to give. And you give extra at times because it's His anyway. Or maybe you you never give at all. Maybe you don't give at all because it's think it all belongs to you or maybe you don't give it all because you don't know that it's important what I would tell you is this ownership is everything understanding that he owns it all 
is calling us to let our treasure to put our heart where our treasure is and if our heart is with our money then we can't serve him if we value our possessions and we value our money we can't serve him Jesus says there is no other option it's either or